Hello, I'm Felix, and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about CCTV systems. Now, no building security series would be complete without something about CCTV or closed circuit television. Essentially, video viewing and recording in a CCTV system is is just that. It's nothing more. There's no broadcast element to it. And that's because it's a closed system, meaning that there's not really supposed to be any other inputs to that system. That's clearly, that's changed over the years as technology's moved on and, and our use case for this is, has changed as well. But it's that concept, that's the, the important part here. Older systems were basically around like coax cables and analog signals. And that's fine. They worked okay, but they were relatively difficult to to maintain. They were a little bit more likely to fail because they were so reliant on those cables. And the, um, the resolution wasn't necessarily very good and that kind of stuff. We've moved on since then. And now we have IP-based systems that have digital signals, much higher resolutions, and they're uh, capable of far more as far as like the attack surface area is concerned what we've got here is quite a few different components we've got the camera itself uh, which has like a little linux system running inside it and a kernel and all sorts of other bits and pieces a similar device but doesn't do recording it um it does the storage of the uh the video signals and that's like an nvr or dvr so a network video recorder of some description and that probably also has a little kernel system running in the background on there you might have a system which includes like connections to the cloud and and all sorts of magic that happens there and let's not forget that in some of these systems in particular you know the ones that aren't outside the front of your house looking at your car there's, there's probably some dedicated networking equipment there too so that cloud system let's think about that for a moment because it's one of the ways that you connect and, and interact with these systems now it's probably a web-based application and it might well have uh, a, a connection that then turns into a different protocol it might not stay as just a normal http which is the, the stuff that serves web pages it might turn into something like rtsp or, or something similar you might also do things like configuration via that which means that the cameras or the nvr or whatever needs to connect back to the cloud to get its configuration and so it becomes a bi-directional bit of bit of kit then the NVR, um, that probably also has like a web application and uh, maybe it does also offload to an RTSP service, something like that. But it might also have a thick client that then you install on your Windows PC so you can access it using just like a normal computer. Then there's probably on those little cameras, there's probably a web server of some description. Even if it's not one that you interact with directly, it might well just host like an API or something else. But it might also have a full-on, you know, proper web application. And then finally, you're likely to interact with them via like a smartphone application, particularly in the most modern of systems, because that's how so many things have moved forward. And they, they want you to be able to uh, access these systems on the go, change them, move them around, take uh, recordings off them, that kind of thing. There's a little bit of an attack surface area that not very many people want to cover, and that's the storage mechanism here. You know, you can insert SD cards into a lot of these cameras to store stuff on locally, but they also take like configuration files from these as well as other stuff if you if you need to like include a logo or a watermark on your, your images. And the same applies for your NVRs, except they'll be doing it on hard disks and probably several of them so that they've got backup copies. 
And then finally, you've obviously got the the magic and the magic storage that happens in any cloud-enabled environment. As a bit of a brief touch, although I suspect most people will probably guess, the why bother attacking a CCTV system? Well, if you wanted to spy on a person or a place, um, you know, there's lots of examples of people uh, being able to find cameras open, including ones uh, where you've been able to identify people growing weed or, or something like that in a warehouse, that sort of thing. That might be kind of interesting, but also you'd be able to delete any evidence that's recorded on there. So if you were there yesterday and you wanted to get rid of that picture, well, maybe you could hack into it and, and delete that particular set of images and and suddenly you're not there anymore although you would leave a hole so you might well be able to tamper with it but that's going to be quite an involved process the other side of things is a little bit james bond-esque or oceans 11 or something along those lines and that's preventing the live viewing of whatever video feed it is say it's in a, a secure facility if you know you're about to physically break in if you can stop it from showing live images that might be quite useful so what are the vulnerabilities? Well, there's often that web application um, on, on a several parts of this particular set of kit, uh, which then hooks into things like RTSP, which I've mentioned before. So RTSP is real-time streaming protocol, and it's quite a complex protocol in many ways. Um, in particular, it does the video feed control. So it's sort of like the, the signal to say start or stop or fast forward and that kind of stuff. If the web application is running on a local device, say that camera or maybe that NVR, then it's probably got, unless it's been you know, checked properly, it's probably got quite a lot of holes. And that's based on the fact that there's numerous examples of public vulnerabilities in this space. And that really applies to those cheaper uh, mass production little CCTV cameras that you can buy for like 10 quid. Those ones are usually dreadful. The reason for this is because those devices are resource constrained, as so many embedded systems are. And what that means is that you tend to find people who have uh, got a system running and then keep going with it, but never really think about what's going on there. They kind of just patch it and add bits and pieces over the top of that over the years. But then they'll also do things like handballing some software or service that's running on it, meaning that it hasn't been peer reviewed and it's probably been done really quickly. They've probably strip back a load of the functionality that most people assume is there, including some of the security functionality that might be done. What this means is that the application or the, the server that's running it, the service on that little uh, webcam or NVR, um, has vulnerabilities in it, which might well expose that device to OS commands that can be executed. Um, so those sorts of vulnerabilities might well be like local file inclusion or remote file inclusion, uh, path traversal, uh, or straight up OS commandeering, you know, if you can get it to just simply run something, as well as things like deserialization uh, problems. Those vulnerabilities in themselves deserve a, a podcast episode on their own. They're quite a big topics. So I'm not going to go into those in loads of depth today. However, those are just some of the ideas anyway. There's actually quite a lot of different options. The experienced listeners amongst you might well say, well, but Felix, surely those applications are running as a low privilege user. So an exploit here wouldn't help that much anyway. You'd get something but not loads. And you'd kind of be mostly right. Um, however, even if you were constrained into a low privilege user and therefore you know the, the utility of the exploit was pretty low, 
at first sight, that might well be the case. But a lot of embedded systems use really old systems like Linux kernels, such as the the 2.4 branch. This is a really significant problem because such an old kernel doesn't have any of the like the good security stuff that's been developed since. So it's kind of vulnerable to all the things that we've tried to deal with over the many years. It's worse than that, though. Um, just to give you a point of reference, the current kernel is the 6.0 family uh, and, and beyond. Uh, so we've moved a long way since then. Um, a quick check against the 2.4 family, um, that branch, has uh, 91 published vulnerabilities as of now, um, and of which six of those vulnerabilities get a 10.0 on the CVSS score. Um, and, and that's really high. I mean, that is literally the top of the system. You can't get any higher than that. Um, the earliest of that 10.0 uh, CVEs is dated in December 2002. So you kind of get the idea. In 2023, over 20 years later, some of these embedded systems are still using ancient technology. Other forms of the camera access, like NVRs, are also potentially vulnerable to the same conceptual problems. Um, and that's just because they're the same bit of kit, they're just in a different location. Um, however, it's worth noting that as the products get more expensive, they tend to have better security oversight. And that does include some of these NVRs because they're, they're built to a higher budget. You know, People are willing to pay more for them because they're commercial installations or they need to cope with far more cameras, for instance. This is also one of the reasons why cloud-based systems are potentially really good. Um, and that's because cloud systems, whilst they're cheap to the consumer, they're actually expensive to set up and you know, create the implementation themselves. That doesn't mean they're perfect, though. For example, Vicada was compromised in March 2021, exposing around 150,000 cameras. This affected loads of different companies, but the headlines were Tesla and Cloudflare. It turns out, though, that uh, Vicada made the mistake of giving far too many people in their organization super admin privileges against these cameras. This was like all of the director levels, and I don't know whether it included the cleaners, but you get the idea. It was basically a lot of people had this sort of access, and they really didn't need it. This meant that when they had one of those accounts compromised, that the attackers could basically do what they wanted in so many of these different cameras. When thinking about these larger installations, it's particularly important to consider how the various components are connected together. Um, in a building, you'll likely have like cameras all connected via Ethernet cables and, and power over Ethernet, all that kind of stuff. But which network would those cameras be sat on? And do they share that network with other systems? You know, if it's sat on the same system, uh, so same network as your corporate IT, that might not be the greatest idea in the world. You might have also spotted as you've driven around those mobile cameras, like the ones you find on the, the top of police camera vehicles or the sentry towers on construction sites. These will likely have really complex network setups, uh, and they'll be based on things like cellular connections and, and perhaps a VPN back to a central location. Other systems might have a private cellular network, such as things like MPLS. Um, this gives the impression of security, but in reality, these private networks, these MPLS-style ones, are just that. They're private, but they're not encrypted. That means you can't get into them. It's sort of like having your own network, but it's not quite the same thing. It's not a massive security vulnerability. It's just something to be aware of in the back of your head because a suitably positioned attacker could theoretically at least sniff that traffic and therefore be able to expose it, see what those video feeds are, or maybe even inject traffic into it. 
It's easy to forget that these systems use a streaming protocol called RTSP. Um, and this is a bit of a generalization. I'm sure there are other formats out there, but that's the, the big, big name in this space. Um, and RTSP doesn't have that many like security assessment tools knocking around, which means it's quite difficult for normal pen testers to be able to, to go away and assess it to any real level of depth. You might well be able to kind of do a configuration scan and that kind of stuff, but nothing too much beyond that. These protocols are complex. You know, as I said before, they do lots and lots of things um, on be much beyond what I described as well. And it would be easy to implement them badly and create a, a non-obvious because of the tooling situation and the, the skill set required for testing these things. But then if you did know about it, an easy to exploit vulnerability, which gave you really big access at a, a, as a deep level. It's really important then for any of these pen testing processes to be done with suitably qualified individuals, essentially, you know, people not necessarily with certificates next to the name, but with the experience or the know-how to explore an unknown protocol or at least a protocol that's unknown to them. So what do I think? Well, CCTV is incredibly prevalent, particularly in developed countries. Uh, you might find it invasive or perhaps a step towards an Orwellian dystopian future. But what I know is that these cameras have a sketchy security history, irrespective of their you know, societal impact and, and that kind of thing, which is way outside the scope of this podcast. They are built incredibly cheaply, and this is probably the root cause for why we have so many poor quality systems out there. Um, essentially, you get what you pay for. Thankfully, in the domestic market, this is starting to resolve itself as a, a relatively small group of much bigger manufacturers are kind of taking over in a way. You know, you've got the Amazons of the world and that kind of thing stepping into this space and really professionalizing what the offerings might well be. When you're choosing a CCTV system, I urge you to make sure that you consider how uh, the vendor then looks after their security. And if you're in a position of power or you know, you're know you a big spender, say, ask for a summary of their last pen test results and, and what their corrective action log looks like as a result of that pen test. You might be surprised if they do provide you with you know something that's actually quite in-depth and meaningful, then that's great. If they try and fob you off, that might mean they've not had a pen test at all, which would be a really bad sign. But, you know, it's worth an ask and see what you can get out of them. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app. Tweet about it, post it somewhere, shout about it on LinkedIn. We'd really appreciate it. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic, or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch via email on helpme at yg.ht with at gotta underscore hack via Twitter, or for searching us, you can find us on LinkedIn with You Gotta Hack That. Thank you very much.